welcome to another episode of Improv Exchange with Leander Young, where we dig into conversations with seasoned musicians to discuss their life, art, and the faith of jazz as they see it. In this episode, we interview a reed player who is originally from New Jersey, Erwin Hall. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Improv Exchange. Today, we have Erwin Hall with us, saxophone player. Thank you for joining us, sir. Thank you for having me. What's going on? Nothing. Can you tell the people about yourself? Because you have oh, an interesting, yeah. weird... Yeah. yeah. I took the scenic route to yes, get here. Yes, the scenic route to get to the jazz world. Uh, my name is Erwin Hall. I'm saxophonist, bass clarinetist, flautist, uh, composer, band leader, arranger, all that good stuff. Dash, 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 hyphen it, hyphen it, hyphen it. Um, I'm originally from New Jersey. Uh, grew up in Central Jersey. Been out in New York for a little bit now. Um, let's see, where to, where to begin? Where, where to start? Let's make fun of your education, Ivy League boy. Oh, boy. Okay, we'll jump right to it. <laughs> um, yeah, I went to Princeton University. Um, I graduated with a degree in East Asian Studies. My focus was on Japanese language and culture. Um, and that was an unexpected turn, not the Princeton part, but the Japanese part. Um, but it's, it was, um, it's one of the best decisions I ever made was to, to learn Japanese, learn how to speak Japanese and read and write, um, and have the opportunity to travel there. It really opened up my worldview to understanding how things work. So what made you actually decide to study that? Well, man, you know, my freshman year of, of college, they say, you know, take a wide range of courses and see what, you, what you're into. And there was this course called Zen and Performance taught by a wonderful professor. I still remember his name, Thomas Hare. Uh, it was a comparative literature course. <laughs> I remember it very well. And man, the, the, <clears throat> the, the course was great, man. It was about the application of Zen principles in various traditional Japanese performing arts. And um, they touched on, you know, no drama. They touched on uh, was it, I think archery was was in the mix, um, the tea ceremony, and of course music through the shakuhachi flute. And so we're reading these texts, and I'm like, man, a lot of the stuff I'm reading here mirrors some of the like um, insights that I've been kind of uh, flirting with as I pursue improvisational music in the process for learning that. And it just it was trippy to see things that I was just like on the margins of trying to understand written down and like fully thought out, fully flushed out. And it really just picked my interest. And uh, so I started reading more and reading more and just doing more insight. And they say the best way to learn a culture is through the language. So second year, it was about time that you got to decide on a language that you want to take. My freshman year, I took Swahili um, and I decided I want to change it up. And so I said, well, shoot, why not? The best live at Live recordings are always in Japan, you know, like Miles Davis live in Japan with Sam Rivers is on that joint going beast. Like, yo, you can go down the list. The, the best joints are always from Japan. So I said, man, you know, we got the connection with that. We got the connection with the Zen thing. Let me go and explore this a little more. I took Japanese as a language and just fell in love with the, the process of learning it. Uh, it was a really, really great department over there. Learned a whole bunch. Um, and then they, they messed up. And I went down to the East Asian Studies office. I was talking with them. And they was like, um, you know, we got the study abroad program. And uh, if you go down there, we'll pay for the whole thing. I was like, what? Well, how do I get involved with that? They was like, well, you just have to major in East Asian Studies. 
and we, you know, we'll write you a ticket. I was like, say word, bet, let's go to Japan. Like, why not? All expenses paid to Tokyo? Yes, I'll, t- I'll take that. So I had to do a lot of work because they wanted to put me in a stick somewhere. And I was like, no, nah, I ain't coming all the way to Japan with my horn to go in the sticks. It, it, you know, it'd be beautiful. That's great. But, you know, I'm trying to mix it up. I'm young. I'm 20. You know what I'm saying? I'm trying to see what's good. What's good. So uh, I was able to convince them to send me to Tokyo. And one thing led to another. I was in Japan playing music all the time, speaking Japanese, drinking sake, you know, doing the whole vibe. Um, the legal drinking age was 20 by in okay, Japan, yeah. by the way. So, you know what I'm saying? I'm legal. You know what I'm saying? I did it right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a law-abiding citizen. Sure. And so, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. And so, uh, you know, I came back and, you know, I just finished up my degree at Princeton one more year back in, in the U.S. And that's kind of how it started. Um, no, that's how choosing Japanese came into existence. Okay. And then you moved back there or you stayed here? Well, I came back for a year and uh, graduated. And then I spent another year just hanging around the city. And I was real disillusioned. You know, I graduated from college in 2007. And I'm dating myself. And um, it wasn't too much longer that we had a huge financial collapse. Hey, guess what opportunities? All the things that you were told that you can do. <gasps> Poof, gone. Up in smoke, everything that we were told that was available to us disappeared. Lies. <laughs> and so uh, I was very disillusioned by the scene. Um, and so I remember I, I was flirting with the idea of just going back to Asia and winging it, see what happens. You know what I'm saying? I'm young. I've got a lot of energy in me. Like this New York thing is just kind of just nothing's happening. Nothing can happen. And so I went down to the Lennox Lounge, RIP the Lennox Lounge, and I was talking with uh, the great saxophonist Patience Higgins. And Patience was telling me, you know, I, I posed the, the, I was clearly distressed and I was trying to figure it out. What should I do? Should I stay? Should I go? It's the biggest decision of my life type of vibes. You know, everything is so huge. So I went to Patience. I was like, man, I, I can't make a decision as what I should do. Should I leave? You know, I can, I can go travel the world or I can stay here. And he was like, boy, you better get your vibe out of here. He said, look, New York ain't changing. New York's going to be the same when you come back. They ain't waiting for you. Don't worry about it. Everything's going to be exactly the same. Get your experiences now. I said, thank you for that, that, that piece of wisdom. Um, and uh, I booked a ticket. And I, my, my, now my original plan was, okay, I'm going to go to Tokyo, figure out a visa somehow, and just make it work because I have a way of just making things work out for me. Um, and I was dating this woman at the time, and she was stationed in the she she just got an internship at the in the Philippines. I said, well, before I go to Japan, let me go over to the Philippines, hang around there for like a couple of weeks, bring myself over to Japan. A couple of weeks turned into a month, turned into a couple of months, turned into five months later. I'm like, oh, I've been in the Philippines way too long. <laughs> I'm supposed to be in Japan. <laughs> So uh, I was like, I still got to work out this visa situation. I don't know how that's going to work. And so she said, well, go on this website. She found this job. She said, check out this. Send an application. You know, the application deadline was like yesterday. But stay up all night tonight. Fill out this application and send it out. And I'm no stranger to to, to um, quick deadlines when it comes to uh, handing in work. So, you know, I did that. And the very next day, they were like, hey, love your application. Holla. 
what are you doing like the day after tomorrow? Can you come to Japan and do this interview? And they thought I was in Japan. So I was like, yeah, of course, sure. I'll be there. No problem. So I bought me a ticket, went over there, did the interview. On a Thursday, the guy, he was like, uh, do this little assignment. Sent it on Friday. No, it was Wednesday. Assignment on Thursday. On Friday, he was like, yeah, you got the gig. You start on Monday. I was like, oh, <laughs> okay, that was quick. So I got this gig working as the research assistant to the editor-in-chief of the Asahi Shimbun. And the Asahi Shimbun is, think like the New York Times of um, Japan. It's like the oldest national newspaper of Japan. There aren't many. <laughs> and this is one of the largest ones. And I was the only foreigner that worked. Actually, the New York Times had an office. Their, their office for the Japan Bureau was in the basement of their building. <laughs> So I was the only foreigner that worked for the Asahi Shimbun proper. All the other foreigners, they always pushed them into the New York Times Bureau office, which was in the basement. So I got to be on the 17th floor instead of the basement. So you had to do Times, if anything. <laughs> <laughs> I think they call it the Herald Tribune in, the, in, the, um, in Japan. Um, but in any case, you know, I'm now suited up, got my visa straight, you know, and I was... Living out in Japan, doing that, doing that gig, which was a lot of work, but I, you know, it's that's just another skill set, another interest that I have. Research and, and um, you know, writing and research is just something that I'm into. You know, just my nervous side is just like gleeful <laughs> when I'm doing that kind of stuff. And so I learned so much. It was great corresponding with the White House and different dignitaries and summits on climate change and all that kind of stuff. But that was during the day, and in the nights, I that was my thing. Every since I was 11 years old, every single day I put an hour on the horn, and so it was the end of the workday, and I have to come home, and I put an hour. At that time, I started putting two hours in on the horn every day. So I'd start doing my nine to five, which turns into a ten to six, which turns into a eight to nine, which turns into a whatever. You know, hours became crazy, but I still put two hours a day in on the horn. And just kept up with it. I ended up getting myself a tenor saxophone that started my journey down to tenor because I'm mainly alto player, my preferred instrument. But I said, you know, I like getting my doubles together. So let me grab a tenor. And, you know, within a few months, I had really taught myself how to play tenor. Um, and then one thing led to another. I'm at the Tokyo Jazz Festival. A homie hit me up. He's like, hey, bro, what's good? I'm in town. Come through, see the gig. Came through, see the gig. We're chilling, kicking it after the show. Of course, everywhere I go, I bring my horn with me. That's just rule number one. You learned that when you was a little one. So we're chilling backstage with the artist, me, him, the artist. I had it brought a day with me. And um, he tells me, he says, uh, hey, yo, um, you won't believe what happened. The artist comes to me. You won't believe what just happened after this gig. I was like, what was what's going on? He said, yo, my saxophone player just quit the band. I was like, say word. <laughs> say word. <laughs> That's crazy because I play the saxophone. <laughs> That's a bad script writing here. <laughs> yeah. Literally. Why did you quit though? Um, I think, you know, folks get upset when they go on the road for too long. Some folks can handle it. Some folks can ha can't handle it. Uh, sometimes the fit works. Sometimes attitudes become a thing. You know, I didn't really get into the nitty gritty of why the cat left because, you know, you leaving, I'm slipping in. So I'm not really trying to, you know, sit there and be like, so tell me what, you know, I'm not going to be scrutinizing her. Why, you know, you're never going to get the real story anyway from nobody. So let me stay in my lane. 
and uh, get this check. So, <laughs> no, I'd rather have this opportunity, which actually really, really was a beautiful opportunity. We really had a great time. And, um, and so, yeah, I left the job, hopped on a plane and did a rehearsal, did, went by to the second rehearsal the next day after that. And then it was like, yo, you want to go to Copenhagen? And I was like, yeah, I want to go to Copenhagen. And then the following Monday, <laughs> boom, I'm out. And that led me down the the the, the journey. So you know, I had to go the roundabout way to to get on the road, but you know, went on the road and stayed on the road um, since that that experience. That was back in two thousand nine. So when you went to Princeton, did you think you were actually going to be a jazz musician, or did you think that was a done chapter? No, it wasn't a done chapter. Um, music was always something I was going to do because it was something I had always done. Um, it was just a decision I had made very early on to, it was kind of like, I never looked at myself as I'm going to be a musician and I'm going to reach these heights and I'm going to have these successes and I'm going to do these things. That music just didn't live in that space for me ever. It was always a, it was a bit more of a spiritual philosophical pursuit. You know, I need to get better at the thing that I'm doing. Anything that I do, I want to be good at. Like I'm not going to halfway do nothing. That's just something my father showed me. My, my mother showed me my, my, that's part of the family way of being. If you're going to do it, do it. Don't half step. So, you know, I couldn't put my hands and put um, on the horn and put that much time into something and just not do it at the, at the highest level. And then reaching the highest, the higher and higher levels, you realize, oh, wow, there's so much wisdom and philosophy that you got to get from the elders. You got to get from so many different sources to help you, to help propel you forward. Um, and so my pursuit into the music was really based upon that philosophy and that principle about just achieving the highest levels of excellence that one could achieve. And people started giving me money to do it. So I wasn't going to say no. Understood. <laughs> but the, but the, the goal was excellence. The goal was excellence on the highest order. Um, and not for any external reward, just, you know, only you know if you're giving your 100 to something. Only you know if you're giving your best to something. Um, it's a really deeply personal thing. You know if you have stepping. You know if you, you know, ah, I should have gone harder. You know that internally. So how did your job react when you quit, though? Oh, you know, I kind of knew I was on the burnout track because I wasn't, I didn't learn how to manage up very well. Um, and actually, because of that experience, I learned how to manage up very well in all of my, in many of my subsequent um, positions uh, on the road. Um so the, my resignation was, was handled pretty, pretty simply, you know, I wrote a letter, you know, on, and he was just like, it's cool. I got you. Okay. He actually ended up retiring like six months after that or like eight months after that anyway. So okay. <laughs> I was going to lose the gig one way or the other. <laughs> okay. So you weren't, if you could do it all over again, you wouldn't have stayed? Oh, no. Okay. No. Just asking. Oh, no. <laughs> No way. No. Okay. That's stressful. Okay. <laughs> but it was a great, it was a, I, I was really happy for the position. It wasn't like I, you know, I hated it or anything. It was actually, it was, you know, it gave me a lot of insight into how people who work a nine to five live. Cause I didn't, I've never, I never did that before. I never had that experience. I was always fortunate enough to make a living by playing music. Um, so that really changed my perspective. I was like, oh, people's lives are real. <laughs> people live really different lives than the one that I know and the one that the people around me know. 
And at the end of a long work day, folks want to chill, yo. They want to kick it. The weekend comes, it's like, yo, I got really one full day to have fun and like a half a day if I'm not tired enough on Friday to, to kick it. Like Sunday, I'm back in preparation mode, so I got to wind down a little bit. So it's like, that's a different way of moving through the world. And you don't really understand that unless you've experienced it. So how did you end up working with Didi? Oh, wow. Didi Bridgewater. The great Didi Bridgewater. Yes, I'm sorry. I should have said that. <laughs> time Grammy winning. Yes. Let, right? it, Three? let it be known. <laughs> Didi is the GOAT. Oh, my God, Didi. I just, every time I get a chance to shower Didi with love, I shower Didi with love. So much love to you, Didi. She's awesome. Um, so how did, how did Didi come? Oh, I started working with Didi because I was working with Theo Croker, the trumpet player. Oh, Theodore, yes. Yeah, so we have been... Uh, <laughs> it's funny, I was working with... The artist I was working with, Melody Gardell. So I was on a road with Melody. And I ran into Theo because he was on, on the road with Didi. And we happened to be in um, the south of France at the Jazz of Juan. I think that's what it was called. No, it wasn't Jazz of Juan. It was... Uh, I forget the name of the festival now. But in any case, we were both at the festival... And we were sharing the same stage. So Didi's band was playing and Melody's band were playing. And I had known Theo because we had met through Billy Hart, who like both had us um, gig crash, this student band that was put together that didn't hire no black people. And Billy was like, yo, y'all got to come through because that's cold. I ain't going to have the student band and there'd be no no brothers or sisters on the thing. So we hit, hit me up, hit him up. And we walked in and we was like, I know why you're here. <laughs> but and then we smashed the gig, right? So we was cool after that. And so in any case, we met in the south of France on that gig. And you know, he had a relationship with Didi that was that was ongoing. And I was kicking it with Theo in Shanghai, China. Found my way over to Shanghai, which where which is where he was living um post-graduation from from Oberlin. So we had been, you know, tearing up the streets of, of Shanghai together. And Didi had a um, an opportunity for Theo to record his record. So I flew it to New York. We did the record. Um, and eventually Didi hired Theo to bring his whole band to be her band and go on the road. And uh, me and him have been playing together for years. So, um, and we went... You know, she grabbed Theo and his band, and we went along right right along with them. Was Casa with you? Casa, yep. It was Casa overall, yeah. yep. Okay. Uh, Michael King on piano and Eric Wheeler on bass. Okay. That was the crew. Yeah, so I know his band. Yeah, they're sick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we, made it, we made a lot of noise. We had a lot of fun for them years. Okay. So what is something that people misunderstand about the music world since you literally been... In Asia, then you've been in Europe, you've been in America. I'm pretty sure you've been in South America at some point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, what are things that people don't understand about the music world? Misunderstand, don't understand, etc. We live in a parallel universe on the fringes, always looking in, but not fully participating. Um, okay. You know what I'm saying? How's that for some philosophy? That's what hey, I'm saying. Ooh, you, got you know me. what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, in all seriousness. Um, 
you know, the structures that set up that are set up to govern how the world works, um, they aren't made with the the artist in mind in any real way, shape, or form. So we kind of just figure it our own way out. And that allows you to look at life from a very different perspective. But it's not all glamour and glitz as it's made to seem on t- television. And it's it's made to seem like that on television because people's lives are hard where they're working nine to fives plus every day. Um, they need some kind of reprieve from that. And art gives you that. Music especially can give you that. And so there's this, just this tall tale that's told, this beautiful little fairy tale about the joy of being a musician and going on the road and traveling. But going on the road is not, it's not no, it what sucks. you might think it, it is. I tell people that all the time. <laughs> you you got to really love what you're doing to be a musician. If you want to really be an artist and go out here on the, and on a road like that, you really have to just love it. If you have a choice to do something else, I would recommend it. Don't do this. <laughs> don't, don't do this unless you have a compulsion, an inescapable tug at your heart and soul. Okay, so why would it? Why, why would you not recommend it to the average person? This, your opinion? Um, no, I, I would say you know, for all of its, you know, let's put it like this: it's a life of extremes. You have your your light and your dark. So for all its glory, you also have that much. Um, struggle. And so you you develop a relationship, a different relationship to normalcy, a different relationship to routine. Routine just ceases to exist. You know, you find routine in, in I should say, you find routine internally rather than externally. So it's just kind of everything's inside out. So you have to develop the things that you do to keep you sane. So if you wake up in the morning, you grab your glass of orange juice, you do 50 push-ups, then you go for a jog. That's just what you do every day. doesn't matter where you are. So you have to hold on to the things that you can hold on to in an environment that's always changing around you in a very literal sense. Um, You have to know what the vital things for your life are going to be in order to go through and come out successfully. And when I say successfully, I just mean with all your faculties intact. (laughs) <laughs> that's the bar for success. <laughs> but I guess that's, you know, you can say that about life too. In, in I mean, any, I in say any, about uh, life in any also, area. But all I tell people but it becomes is that, especially, you know, it becomes especially um, pointed in this environment. I just describe the people as you think it's good going to a new city every day until you realize you don't get to see the city. After time, it's from the hotel to the gig uh-huh. to the mm-hmm. Maybe the bar, if not, right to the hotel. And then next city tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. You know, and so that routine, that internal routine becomes important because it's very easy to lose yourself in that kind of environment. So you see a lot of people turn to um, various forms of... Yeah. um, You know, people turn to alcohol, they turn to drugs, they turn to whatever they turn to, just to find a little peace because we're not meant to have that little routine, you know, without a system in place to for how to move within that space. You know, there were nomadic cultures, so they had systems and folks around them and, you know, tribes and, you know, family or whatever to help them um, with that, with the constant move. But this is a different thing. <laughs> so 
How has Corona affected you personally? Oh, well, um, Corona. And the music stopped. Sense. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it stopped the game. You know, it stopped the rotation of <laughs> the rotation of the earth, <laughs> so to speak. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of a lot of loss that happened. But also there was a lot of time to sit and reflect on the state of things. And I think with the go, go, go nature of, of our society, American society, that sometimes we forget to value the importance of stillness. And this gave us an opportunity, gave me an opportunity to sit and be still for a while and just look at things and be like, you know what? That ain't been cool the whole time. Let's not go back to that. Let's not do that anymore. Um, or I say, and, you know, an opportunity to recognize, you know, I really enjoy doing these other things. I really enjoy feeding these other hobbies of mine um, and having the time to just do them and be at peace. I'm an introvert, very much so. So the opportunity to sit at home and not feel guilty for not being out and about in the scene and doing this and doing that, oh, it was a weight lifted off my shoulders because I could feel finally that it's okay to just breathe out and relax for days, <gasps> weeks, <gasps> months, <laughs> you know, um, I really, I did well in mentally in that space. I did very well mentally in that space. Okay. Well, that's good to know that you at least developed yourself more or yeah. relax. Cause I can yeah. tell you other stories of people have it feeling like, you know, Two cars crashed and they. <laughs> I mean, look, I had to. I know a lot of people uh, that were going through it. I mean, it's strange not to be able to play music all the time because I've been doing that since I was a little kid. It's strange not to be able to hustle for something to make something happen because I've been doing that for a little kid. And a part of you feels like, yo, I'm missing something. Part of you's missing. So that that part is very real. And I know a lot of folks that were like going through a lot of mental distress trying to like come to terms with that. I think spending a lot of time on the road and on the road, I kind of like do my own thing. I kind of stay to myself. So spending a lot of time on the road, this just felt like an extended tour. Like this was just an extension of that thing. You know what I'm saying? No, I, I mean, I understand where you're coming from on that. So, <laughs> okay. So where do you think jazz will be in 10 years? Oh, in 10 years. Um, I don't know if it'll look the same. They'll it'll still be called the same thing, but I don't think the definition is going to equal then what it equals now. <laughs> I think we're gonna. I think we're moving towards incorporating all of blackness in jazz, um, not just the cherry picked part from the fifties and sixties or whatever it is that folks like to look at, or the older folks like to say, okay, everything Frank Sinatra is that's jazz, and everything else after that is some nonsense, or it can only be the twenties. And Louis Armstrong, it can only be Louis Armstrong because that's the real thing. It can only be like, come on, enough, enough. I think the the inclusion of of more facets of Black life um, is really going to infiltrate this this world some more. And so there's already co opting the name. We're already taking it over, just like we co opted the N word. We took that over. Like <laughs> it's ours now, and it's going to include all of Blackness. And you know. You, you can't stop the wave, no matter how many 
structures you try to put up to stop it. You got to include the entire black experience because this is a system for expression. This is, you know, with improvisation at its root, at its core um, in modern days. So, you know, let's respect the tradition and understand and pay homage, follow the elders as they show us the ways, but understand that, you know, there's also going to be a point where you got to insert yourself and who you are. And as black people in the, in the States, we get more and more fed up with not being, of being told this is that and this ain't that. Um, we just, you know, we're, we're going to morph it. <laughs> you know, it's not, it's already not strange to hear a backbeat and then on one song and then somebody to like swing on the next one, you know, but with deep pockets. Both pockets were deep. Both. I know both, your boy does it really well. Both pocket was deep, and Kassan does it and really good. With it on his stuff, he just has the drum machine going, and then he's swinging on top of it, and it's on just top like, of it. "Why are you cool. mad? Yeah, why are you mad? <laughs> it feels good. People are happy. I'm happy. I'm happy. That was the funny thing. I mean, I've said funny thing. The thing that actually interests me the most when he came on and we were talking about it, he mm-hmm. said that people don't even question him about it. The way yeah. I thought. I thought people would go attack him for it. He's like, nah, people nah. feel it, man. <laughs> Love. If it feels good, it feels good. If it's, you know, people like it, people like it. You know. Okay. So if you could remove all the barriers, all constraints, what type of project would you make? Who would be on it? Lord have mercy. Oh, why you hit me with that one out the blue, bro? Because. Why you hit me with, oh, man. Oh. There's a, oh. Unlimited budget too. Yep. Unlimited. Oh man, Sony's gonna give you a mercy. blank check. Just be blank like, Yo, check. Just do go do this, want. man. Hit this up. Wildest dreams. I'd be like, listen. First, you gotta give me my dreams. I have to come up with bigger dreams because I didn't expect to ever get a check like this. I need time. <laughs> but no, I'm gonna answer your question. Um, but know that I can get grander. <laughs> There would definitely have to be a, a a black choir. I'm not sure who yet will go through a whole process, but it have to be like a 40 piece choir in it. Like that just has to happen. I definitely need an entire orchestra as well. Um, oh shoot, um, who would I? Who else would I have? Like, I, well, I've always wanted to make a strings album. That's the thing. Uh, like a really lush, beautiful strings album. Um, so I'd hire a dope, a dope composer, like maybe like, you know, maybe go to Japan and get one of them like uh, <laughs> orchestras out there. You know, this is the Japanese flute quartet. Yo, they're killing too. Tokyo flute quartet. They're dope. Maybe I'll get them all on something. I don't know, man. This is hard to answer, man. There's so many options out here, okay, bro. So far, all I heard was like the New York Philharmonic Orchestra with the Sound Yo, of Blackness it's... Choir. With yeah, exactly, <laughs> it would just be a crazy mashup. It'd be there'd have to be some DJs on it. Like I don't even know who yet, but like there have to be some like, you know, like I'm from Jersey, so get some like Jersey Club on it, like or some, some, something crazy just to throw in the mix because it has to happen. Um, Springfield yeah. on his album, people. <laughs> <laughs> and Bon Jovi. Yes. Hey, yo, yo. Uh, real talk, though. I'm into some country music. There's this. Uh, oh, what's, what's her name? Oh. What did she oh, say? Where's my... 
Yeah, there's this country singer. Like she's like a um um let me see if I can I got her saved on a playlist right here. I gotta pull her up because she she's just so good. Um there it goes. Yep. Oh, uh Haley with Haley Withers. Haley Withers, you're gonna get Haley Withers on your album too? <laughs> Yeah. Okay, this is totally. just too much. <laughs> yeah, it would be a straight matchup. It would be madness. And I don't care if anybody likes it. Like, that's not the point. <laughs> We're going for excellence, baby. You'll like it in 15 years. That's fine. Oh, that's, that's spoken fine. as it a doesn't true, have to happen in my honest. lifetime. When <laughs> my die, kids can benefit yes, from this. When I die, everybody's going to love my art. Yes, I get you. Okay. <laughs> Another. You have to. You have to. You're trying to trigger me, aren't you? You, you love me. <laughs> Or you hate me. The past few years, everyone noticed. It's been a person <laughs> trying to trigger me to get me go on another rant. That's exactly what it's turned into. <laughs> okay, that's... <laughs> All right, man. So before we go, we normally give a shout out and show respects to the artists that came before us. I'm going to tell you an instrument and two artists. Choose one and tell us why, okay? An instrument... An artist, I have to choose one and tell you why. Yes. Okay. All right, let's go. On trumpet, Roy Hardgrave or Christian Scott? Uh, well, Roy Hargrove. Yeah, Roy Hargrove is, everybody comes out of Roy, like modern day. Um, one of my biggest influences, um, my my teacher, Bruce Williams, who oh, I have set up, um, he was playing a Roy's band. And like, they would come to town and I'd always be like, oh, my God. Yeah, and he'd sound great on it, of course. So, you know, he would come to the sessions and hang and all that stuff. Shouts out to Christian because that's the homie. Um, I think he would also be like, yeah, Roy. Like, <laughs> that's Roy. Well, he played with him a lot. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's... that's, <laughs> that's, what is that's Roy is royalty. <laughs> I forgot which Christmas song they did together that I really... Is it Frosty or it's Rudolph? It's, I think it's Rudolph. Mm-hmm. Ah, uh, whatever. Someone's going to fact check me now and kill me on that. Whatever. <laughs> so on bass, Dave Holland or Linda Hole? Um, I would say Dave Holland just because of the, 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 the legacy, the history that he brings to it, like the composition, like all the songs he wrote, like that's, you know, he holds a, a special place in, in, in the history of the music. And he's just killing. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. On keys, Herbie Hancock or Chick? I'm a Her- I'm a Herbie fan. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a like butterfly just for that alone. Okay. Like just for the introduction when he was introducing the song before he even played it, <laughs> I was like, oh, it's like that. Okay. On drums, Brian Blade or Nate Smith? You know, I'm I'm going to lean towards Brian Blade because I've checked out so many of of them records. Um just personally like I just been all up in them records. Um the one, what's the uh, the the group he had? Um, Myron's playing bass clarinet in it. Um, it's like the larger ensemble. But um, yeah, I've just I've wore out, and he's played with like 
Well, I mean, both cats. But yeah, I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go. I'm leaning in that direction. Okay. And on saxophone, Mark Turner or Chris Potter? Or Chris Potter? Yes. Uh, Mark Turner. I'm I'm gonna lean with Mark. Okay, that was too um, easy for you. Yeah, that was that was that was okay. a double. You should have said train or or sunny. Yeah. Like then we could go into something. You know what? Just because of that, Coltrane or Sonny Rollins, go. Sonny Rollins. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, you know. I t- like Sonny. Sonny had a recent interview where he's talking about. I mean, they both did it, just the striving for that excellence. But like, you know, Sonny comes at the thing. There's so many aspects to the music. And, you know, Coltrane's, you know, you can't ever take anything. I'm wearing a train shirt right now. You know what I'm saying? You can't ever take anything away from train. There's just something about Sonny's approach to rhythm, approach to, like, the tunes that he would select. He chose so, he his, he played so many tunes, like, in a, in a set. Like, tunes I still ain't heard of. <laughs> like, and, like, stay swinging throughout, and it's just... Like he been, I got man, I'm running out of words. Like just this flashes of images and sounds would be going through my head when I think of just how creative he stayed throughout his entire life. Not to take anything away from Train, but like you know, the bridge, the sabbaticals. I mean, I guess his life story speaks to me a little bit more as well. That works. Being that he went away for a long period of time, then came back and was like, nah. Even at the height of um, commercial excellence within the with, that the music provides, that ain't this ain't it yet. I gotta go. I'll be back. People are like, nah, you crazy. Stick around. He was like, nah, y'all ain't hear me though. I'm out. <laughs> and then he goes into the shed. Like he went to India. He's done doing some yoga. And, like he's away from everybody. And then coming back, he's like, still ain't there yet. I'll be back. Peace. Like <laughs> like him. Like Charles Lloyd. Like those are my two two of my biggest like oh like biggest guys. And they both took sabbaticals, you know, extended. Understood. Okay. Well, could you tell everyone your social media, your website, where to find you? Oh, for sure. Uh, you can find me. Everything's at Irwin Hall, I-R-W-I-N-H-A-L-L. Facebook, you'll probably have to put Irwin Hall Music. But uh, there's not a lot of me, so um, you'll you'll find me pretty easily. Instagram. Instagram and Facebook are where I'm most active. I got a Twitter account. Maybe I'll start getting snarky on Twitter at some point. It hasn't happened yet, but I'm feeling the pings of, of snarkiness. <laughs> I'm feeling the pings of snarkiness come as the weather warms up. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. So maybe, You're gonna maybe be that that'll happen. On Twitter. You're going to be that jazz guy I mean, on the Twitter. I mean, I'm always just me. You okay. know, you got to take me or leave me alone. You come at me, man. I'm coming after you, man. I'm telling you that right now. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, well. So, everyone, Irvin Hall, thank you again for joining us, sir. Thank you for having me. It's been great to wrap with y'all. And everyone, this is Leander Improv Exchange. Thank you. Have a good one. Peace. That's that on jazz. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Improv Exchange. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Also, please be sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Improv Exchange.